kingdom of God is in our midst. So, the kingdom, and I love going over this again and again, the kingdom of God is God kinging amongst, God kinging in the world. What does a king do? Think of what a king does. That's what God is doing. The kingdom of God is basically God kinging in the world. He can do it with us. He can do it without us. But because we are co-heirs, he prefers doing it with us. Then we said, oh, before that, the kingdom has always been, as in it was, it is, and it will be. If you read Psalm 145, you will find that the kingdom has been from everlasting to everlasting. If you read Daniel 7, 14, you will find that it's been from everlasting to everlasting. It is today because Jesus said the kingdom of God is in our midst. How can the kingdom of God be in our midst? It's in our midst because this, when the king is present, the kingdom is present. Let's wrap our heads around it, eh? Because it's very hard sometimes to do this. If the king is in a place, suddenly that place becomes where his rule or reign is. Just think of it that way. It's amazing how embassies are actually the territory of the nation they belong to. That's why as soon as someone runs into an embassy, you can't touch them. doesn't matter whether you're in China, Russia, it doesn't matter. As soon as you run and you're inside the embassy, that region is no longer the territory of the nation that the embassy is in. That's how the earth operates. And the earth copies this from models that were first created in heaven and then counterfeits them or distorts them. That's why kings don't need visas when they fly. Even when the Iranian uh, president flies to the US, he doesn't need to apply for a visa. You can't touch him when he comes there. You can criticize him on TV. You can try to take him out. You can do everything else in the quiet. But when he comes to speak at the United Nations, there's nothing you can do to him. Because where he goes, his entire nation goes with him. If this is how the earth operates, then we must understand that God is kinging continuously since Jesus came. When Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom. As in, I have now come. I always had a kingdom. I've always been king. But I want you to know, now the earth has this reality too. God is kinging. Wherever he is, the kingdom is. And wherever he is, he is kinging. And what does kinging look like? Kinging looks like everything Jesus did in the Gospels. And the work is continued by the Holy Spirit. What is, kinging, what is kinging's main aim? Never forget this. We'll have to repeat this again and again, guys, just because we don't think like this. What is, what is kinging's main aim? I will make all things new. I will set all things right. I will make all that is sad come untrue. This is what kinging plans to do. Never forget this. We forget this, we lose out on what Jesus is trying to do. Therefore, salvation is no longer, will you invite Jesus into your heart? Salvation is Jesus inviting us into the kingdom. That's what he came to do, repent and enter the kingdom. I know we've said this over the last two weeks, but this is how we learn. Truth is learned through repetition. What if we change our salvation message too? It's not, if you invite Jesus into your heart, you will go to heaven. It is, repent and enter the kingdom that he's inviting into, you into. And you can only enter the kingdom through receiving the king. And to receive the king is to agree to be loyal to him and to obey his commandments. Now would you like to do that? And once you do that, you can start kinging with him. He can do this sovereignly, but he chooses to do it with his people, with his citizens. This is what he is, what his aim is. This is what his aim is. 
When he, when he put Adam and Eve on the earth, he said, I want you to be my vice regents. The moment he said in Genesis 1.26, what does he say in Genesis 1.26? It's brilliant. Listen to what he says in Genesis 1.26. Let us make them in our image. And the next sentence after, let us make them in our images and let us give them dominion. As in, let them now extend our kingdom. It is natural for man who is made in his image to be part of the kingdom. They are, those sentences are together, eh? Let us make man in our image and let us give them dominion. But dominion, he didn't mean power. He didn't mean rule. He didn't mean let's annihilate a few people and let's preserve a few people. What he meant was let us now begin to steward with, let them now begin to steward with love as we have stewarded with love. And what is the earth trying to do? What is the world trying to do? Let us make man in our image and let us give them dominion. And so it's two kingdoms at work. That's what the world is doing. Let us make man in our image. Let us educate Reuben and Eliana in our ways. Let us change their names. Let us do what Nebuchadnezzar tried to do to 20,000 young Israelites. Let's indoctrinate them in the systems of Babylon. Let's make them forget their history. That's what is being attempted with all these kids. Through an industry that has education and entertainment and has the ability to brainwash. And then there is another kingdom which is doing exactly opposite. Let's culture them in the ways of the king. This is a constant tussle, but this is what God came to do. We must not forget this. He could do this sovereignly, but he, right from Genesis, wants to tend the garden with Adam. He wants to tend the garden with Adam. He could do it himself, but he wants to tend the garden with Adam because he sees us as vice regents or uh, co-laborers. For those of us who may think, ah, oh, this dominion stuff is dangerous stuff, and there are a lot of doctrines and dominion that go uh, crazy, this is not a good idea, well then forget this word. Go for co-laborers. If that makes you feel a little humbler and better, so be it. Choose whichever word you want so that you're not stuck with dominion. Because I've, I've had people who said this dominion thing is dangerous, and perhaps it is. But that's not the point. The point is not dominion. The point is dominion. Look at the king we serve, man. How did he exert dominion? So, one of the ways we can really begin to uh, work with him and bring this end to pass is by moving from this idea of, um, oh, the Holy Spirit lives in us, to this idea of hosting the person of the Holy Spirit or hosting the person and the presence of the Spirit of Jesus. He is called the Spirit of Jesus in Philippians 1.19 and Acts 16.7. 6, so it's not some term that I'm coming up with. What if we began to think along the lines of hosting the presence and the person of the Spirit of Jesus. What if, what, if we, what if we move to thinking hosting? What do we do? What do we do with whom we have? What, would, what do we do with whom, as in the Holy Spirit, we have? What does Jillian do with Maria? She's not a bed and breakfast place. She's not a paying guest. What does she do when you have to host someone? What do you do? Bill Johnson talks about what if we actually thought of the Holy Spirit as a dove? And what if the dove was on your shoulder and it's your most treasured possession?
every step you take, you would be careful to make sure that everything with the dove is fine. You would do everything in your power to make sure that the dove stays on your shoulder. Every step you take, every breath you take would be, I've got to make sure that this precious treasure on my shoulder, this dove, is not undone in any which way. Every step becomes important. That's what hosting looks like. What do we do with whom we have? How do we do this? We must learn how to host the presence. How to host the presence of God. And that means it's on one hand a privilege. On the other hand it's a responsibility. And on the third hand it's a challenge. Can you think like that though? Can you think it's a privilege? Can you think that hosting his presence is a privilege? Is it a privilege? This is why reverence is important because what happens with a lack of reverence is um, that we get accustomed to the Holy Spirit. He won't leave us. He's in us. Um, we can feed him like we feed pigeons every uh, few days and he'll be happy. He'll come fluttering, uh, turn up for our services. There's something about reverence that, that, that changes that. Eh? It's a privilege. The older you are as a Christian, sometimes you've got to guard against the blood of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, becoming someone, something that, is, that you can take for granted. Do you know that we sometimes sin knowing that tomorrow we can go back and ask for forgiveness? It's crazy. We can sometimes sin knowing that tomorrow we can go and ask for forgiveness. So why not just go through it? Yeah, it'll take an extra hour of praying, but we can get this done. It's crazy how sometimes our minds work. So, it's a privilege, and then it's a responsibility, which means there are things that I need to do. And then it's a challenge, which means I will fail. Please get used to this. The difference between perfection in any pursuit of God and um, a desire is very simple. Perfection, perfection sets a standard that you need to meet and you will try to meet it even without God. Desire is something that comes because you delight in what you want to pursue. Christians that aim for perfection will condemn themselves to a life of continuous failure. Anything you want perfection in, you will fail in because you are right back in the Old Testament. You want to make sure you never lose your temper and that every time you lose your temper, you think, oh, shucks, I blew it again. And, and, and then it ruins your whole day. I'll tell you why it ruins your whole day. It's not because of regret, remorse or about sin. It is because you blew it. When you blow it that way, it's usually because you did not meet that standard that you had set for yourself. Perfection is trying to do things for God without God. And he never calls us to that. How, how do we know that? He said, throughout the Old Testament, these are the standards I set for you. And they were perfect standards and they could not meet it. And so what did he do? He said, let me make you perfect. And the perfect one came and lived me, in me so that I would never pursue perfection again. In any area that you pursue perfection. Sometimes I think the word screwed is so perfect for occasions like this, but I won't use that word because it's not the right word to use. Anyone who pursues perfection will mess up. Big time. Get used to failing and get used to getting up. Get used to having desire. That comes out of delight. And if you don't have the delight, go and ask the only one who can give you hunger. It's strange how babies never have to be taught that you have to be hungry. They are born hungry. And if you don't have hunger, I'll go and ask him. 
Any questions on that? It's a really bad idea to be perfectionist, see? Christians cannot be perfectionists. You didn't take everything I said in the beginning to heart, right? About you asking questions. Oh my Lord. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> oh my Lord, I set myself up for this. Failing without aiming for perfection allows you to get up as enthusiastically. Failing when you aim for perfection destroys you. Destroys you. Because it is self-effort that has just caused you to fail. And you can only exert self-effort so many times. But my God, the Holy Spirit will pick you up again and again. Because it says in the scriptures, a righteous man will fall seven times. And every time he falls, the Lord will pick him up. Seven was not a finite number. May this be the death knell of perfection in your life. Every time when you try for perfection, may you have the words of Jacob haunt you. Perfectionists cannot be Christians, 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 Christians. Yeah. So. It, is, it is sin because we are living in the wrong covenant. Yeah. We've been, we've been, if the covenant of death is where you want to leave, live, when we've been given a covenant of life, it is a covenant, but it's the wrong covenant to live in. Because his intent throughout the Old Testament was, let me show you what perfection looks like, because I'm perfect. And now that you've tried and realized that it doesn't work for you, let me help you. It's a privilege, it's a responsibility, it's a challenge. So how do we go about it? One, um, be like Abraham. Be like Abraham where he sees these guys in Genesis 18, three of them. He insists on wel welcoming them. He persists saying, please, please come and have some food. Then he goes and runs and prepares food. He prepares food and then he stands there and looks after them. He doesn't eat with them. He's like a waiter, a servant, waiting while they eat. He waits upon them till they finish. He waits upon them to, because he knows there's more, more that they'll say. And he refreshes God. That's what the word says, that he refreshed those three. He refreshes God. This is one way of learning how to host the presence of God. And the question is, do we do this? Insisting, persisting. One of the things that I find is now become a negative is the little books that people write to get you the five minutes of prayer that you need. That is good for beginners, but it should be banned for anyone who's over one year old in Christ. Those little thingies? Daily bread or uh, versions of the daily bread. Uh, I would call it um, more than pursuing. It's like um, it's like creating, um, cleaning up your house and saying, "Please come and visit my house. Please, please, let me prepare some food for you." It's more than that. It's wanting him to stay. It's wanting him to stay. And you find a different thing when Jesus visits Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee invites him, and Jesus says of him at the end, when I came in, you did not wash my feet. When I came in, you did not give me the courtesy that you normally give. You just invited me because you know I'm a rabbi and you wanted me here. But look at this woman. She's been weeping since the moment she came in. She's wept and washed my feet with her tears. She's taken her hair and wiped my uh, feet with her hair. But you, you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't give me any honor. Rarely does Jesus talk like that. And may I suggest to you that sometimes we are caught between these two? There are times when we are like this, but there are times when Jesus has become a regular guest. What does it take to make sure that the dove is not disturbed? I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is like a dove that he flies away at the least disturbance. 
He's furious. He's fiery. He's strong. He's not a pushover. He's not some sensitive touch-me-not. But what if we thought for a second of him as a dove that's on your shoulder that must not be disturbed? How do we host him? What will it take for me? It'll take practice, man. It's learned. It's learned. Hosts are who we are meant to be, guys. Hosts are who we were meant to be. And you will not come into the fullness of who you are till you both host him and manifest his presence. Hosts are who we were meant to be. Right from the bat, when Adam was here on earth, hosts are who we were meant to be. When the Spirit of God came, hosts are who we were meant to be. In the temple, in the wilderness, hosts are who we meant to be. The Ark of the Covenant, hosts are who we were meant to be. Israel, hosts are who they were meant to be. The church, hosts are who we are meant to be. Until we decide, till Jacob decides that I want to host the presence of God and both host him and manifest him, not on a two-hour basis, then you come into the fullness of who you are. Where's Rennie? Rennie, Iris, hosting someone right now. Hosting, 24-7. You want to talk about the dove? Let's move from dove to the baby in their womb. Everything is measured. What do I eat? What do I drink? What can I lift? What can I not lift? When should I sleep? How should I sleep? Will my husband buy me that pillow that I'm supposed to use or will Derek not? <laughs> Sorry, Derek. That just came up. Yeah. And all the husbands say, not a good idea. But the point is this, that everything is so measured. What do I need to do to, to make sure I'm a host that will not allow this baby to be harmed in any which way. That is the kind of, I mean, can you imagine if that was the kind of care that went into hosting the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine what that will do to your life? It bothers me that it is not that important. I'm talking only about myself. It bothers me. He has entrusted you with the Holy Spirit. We need to become aware of the person. You wonder how Mary and Joseph felt when they had to deal with Jesus, eh? Must have freaked them out, man. Create place through practice, guys. And the strange thing is, as presence becomes your lifestyle, holiness becomes your nature. As presence becomes your lifestyle, holiness becomes your nature. If presence is not lifestyle, then holiness has to be something we um, sometimes strive for or have to keep in mind. But when presence becomes your lifestyle, holiness becomes your nature. Let's, let's for a second think that Iris and Rennie were like, they used to consume a bottle of wine every night. Okay, and now it's gone. The nature is completely removed. Why? Because they have to take care of someone that they are hosting. When presence becomes your lifestyle, holiness becomes your nature. It's so automatic. Any questions, guys? And kids realize it very quickly. Huh? Kids are smart enough to know this holiness thing doesn't work. So then they have to fake it or hide it. And then we wonder why we lose them at 18. Presence is very hard to escape. Eh? Once you taste, it's very hard to escape. If you can introduce kids to presence, oh my God, you have them hooked for life. Looks what happened to Brandon and Jeremy can send them to the coldest place on earth. 
if you want to, yeah. Presence is also filled with joy, guys. Presence is filled with joy and delight. In your presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, verse 11. So would that be a litmus test for where we are at? Are you a person that um, when people spend time with, they find out that one of your characteristics is joy and delight? Is that what they would say of you? Presence carries peace. Presence carries peace. In fact, presence carries so much peace that it threatens the storm. It threatens the storm. <laughs> you can see why Jesus was how he was, man. Why is he sleeping in the middle of a storm? Because he's got presence. He's got his father's presence. He knows his father's presence. And presence threatens the storm. Can you imagine that kind of a peace? Can you imagine walking into a room with that kind of peace and presence? Do you know what it'll do to a room that is chaotic? We can be this. None of these teachings are coming at the wrong time. They're coming at the right time, guys. They're coming at the right time because God has a timing for things. And then he supplies it. And why is he supplying it? It's not a wagging a finger. Jacob can wag a finger, but he's not wagging a finger at us. His thing is, this is the right time so that you can all step into this. He's over the years that he spent working with us, molded us into this place where these things can now happen. Receive it with anticipation, not with, oh, how difficult will this be? It'll be easier. In our minds, we think it's difficult. It's easy for us. You've been on the potter's wheel for years. The clay is malleable now. And every time you think something is difficult, some addiction is difficult to get out of, some habit is difficult to get out of, immediately switch to the Holy Spirit because he has the power. He has the power. Just flip to him. When in trouble, when in doubt, when in um, this place where you're under pressure, run to the Spirit of God. Run to the Spirit of God, because when you run to Him, He'll start engaging you in conversations with God. And find time, pull off the side of the road, find time, engage in conversations with God, because engaging in conversations with God always brings awe and wonder, always draws you to become a much-loved child. If you don't know how to converse, stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. Conversations will start if you wait. You've sat before besides awkward people in the airplane and they'll stick with it. They'll keep talking. They'll keep talking. You want them to shut up. They won't. They'll keep talking. And eventually what happens? You begin to talk to them. And then you have a conversation. You know all this. I'm just repeating what you already know. Presence requires feeling. Presence requires feeling. Don't shy away from it. Presence requires feelings. Presence requires feelings. I'm sure I told you this, that I stayed at a hotel called Feeling Hotel in Taiwan. No? Stayed at a hotel called Feeling Hotel in Taiwan. And there was a big notice in the parking lot saying, this parking lot for feeling guests only. Non-feeling guests will be prosecuted. <laughs> so I still remember that. Presence requires feelings, eh? Presence requires feelings. So God is, um, God is so desirous to see Paul cry under the Christmas tree. He, 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 Jesus used to cry quite regularly. Have feelings, man. Let worship open your feelings sometimes. Let time spent with God open your feelings. Feelings must be felt. If you don't have feelings, ask God to re restore feelings. 
ask God to restore feelings. Derek, ask God to restore feelings. Yeah? Don, you don't need to ask at all. Huh? <laughs> Just, that's not anything you need to do. So, how can, which one of you was adopted, man? Feelings are, uh, yeah. Presence requires words. Presence requires words. Make visible the voice of the Spirit. Make visible the voice of the Spirit. Majesty requires proclamation. Majesty requires proclamation. You cannot be in the presence of majesty without going, whoa. If that is the only sound that comes out, keep saying, whoa. But not W-O-E, W-O-A-H. Like, whoa, however it sounds uh, when you say it. But make sure that presence uh, has words. Uh, please, like Paul was saying, we've got to get rid of the stiff upper lip, eh? We can't have it. Presence requires words. And so it doesn't matter. I don't care which country you come from. I don't care what your demeanor is and how you're soft-spoken. Get over it. It doesn't help the kingdom. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help the body. It doesn't help the church. So why are you still sticking onto it? Simple. Get rid of it. Guys, we've been around, we've been with each other too long now to tolerate some of your idiosyncrasies. If you're new, uh, this applies to you also. Just in case I wasn't, you thought I wasn't talking about you and Breck. Let me end with this. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God who you host is looking for people he can encounter. Love that. Wherever you go. These are the things where, can you be conscious of this? Can you be conscious of it? Wherever you go, the Spirit of God is looking for people you can encounter. He can en- uh, looking for people he can encounter. Sorry, not he. Uh, not you. He can encounter through you. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. One last time. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. Be aware of it. Be aware of it. Here's another line, eh? Can you turn his affections? Can you turn his affections towards them? Can you turn his affection towards them? Put it together. Wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. Can you turn his affection towards them? It looked different. This is how God kings. This is how God kings. Beautifully, eh? wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. Can you turn his affection towards them? This is why God needs people with skin on them. I mean, you can't tell a child who's afraid at night saying, God will take care of you. Doesn't help the child much. The child wants someone with flesh on them. That's why he provided parents so that otherwise he could send a loud voice saying, I am here. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Doesn't help the child at all. You want, <laughs> you want someone with flesh on them, man, to go and say, Oh, it's okay, it's okay, little Mikey. <laughs> Sorry. You know how long I spent doing my hair this morning? <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't think it would go that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
So little Mikey needs someone who can be there. And that's what God is trying to do here. Wherever you go. <laughs> okay, moving on from Mike. We'll move on to someone else. Yeah. Wherever you... Where, sorry. Can you turn his affection? Can you direct? Sure. Can you direct his affection toward? No, can you turn? Sounds better. Can you, can you turn his affection towards them? Yeah. So wherever you go, the Spirit of God, who you host, is looking for people he can encounter. And once he encounters them, can you turn his affection towards them? His affection. And his affection then will, be, uh, will have to be heard. What do you want me to do for Mike? What is it that he requires? Maybe it's his knee. Maybe it's some money. Maybe, I'm, I'm not going to try it again, maybe it's just to... <laughs> but at the end of the day... <laughs> Oh my Lord. <laughs> Mike, don't leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we need to turn our affection. The one day Karen doesn't come, this happens to you, eh? We need to turn our affection. Guys, this is so critical, eh? May you remember Mike, and every time you remember Mike, may you remember this. Yeah? <laughs> this is so critical, guys. Any, any, any questions, any thoughts on this? Uh, uh, can you turn his affection towards him? Uh, I know direct fits, but can you turn? Uh, it's almost like God saying, hey, Jacob, just, it's, not, it's, not even, it's not even look forth. It's like, Jacob, can you see what I see? It's almost like drawing you towards someone. Can you turn your affection towards them? No, it, it's a sense of God saying, hey, Jacob, I want you to see as I see. Did you see what I saw just now? Can you do what I'm, re I'm thinking? It, it's this engagement process. Hey, it's a conversation. It's not just a command. Everything about God is so relational that the, that the fun of it is in the relationship, not in the command. The Old Testament is full of commands. Jesus came to establish a relationship through which the nature of God can be expressed. Then it becomes, yes, so in the end it becomes a command, but it is so much more fun when he's trying to say, and you then ask, oh, what do you mean, what are you seeing? And then you don't see it, and then you realize it, it's a process. It's in the conversation that you know, get to know God better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he had to told just to do it. And when they couldn't understand it, he would explain it. But we don't realize this, guys, how badly God enjoys conversation. This is part of the reason why he's so not interested in giving you answers. He is not interested in giving you answers. He's interested in engaging you in a conversation to arrive at the answer. It's the nature of God. What do you think was happening in the cool of the evening? Why can't God just turn up at the oaks of Mamre and say to Abraham, Abraham, I just want to tell you I'm going to destroy Sodom. Um, just came to tell you that and see you later. No. It's this long process, man, where now the guy has to go get a fatted calf. You've got to cook it. I believe it takes time to cook a whole calf. And then you've got to get um, uh, cookies and biscuits and all that stuff. And they're waiting there. And then that's not done yet. And then there's a promise given to him in Genesis 18. It goes on for so long. But in the process, what do we get to know? What do we get to know? We are the readers now. Abraham doesn't know what is happening. But now we get to know the nature of God, how he behaves. Shall I hide from Abraham? It's so rich, man, this thing that God has given us called a relationship. It is so rich. You know why it is so rich? Because there's no end to it. All riches on earth have an end. 
You can put only so many zeros behind a figure. This thing is endless, man. And it'll continue into eternity. If you think what you taste now is good, what does that even look like? And your kids have such an advantage because they miss out all those miserable years we had. I mean, today I was watching this. One kid after the other came up with those, whatever you call them, thingies, and doing their own thing, finding their own location and position. The worship team was not important at all. <laughs> and I, I looked at it and I marveled, saying, Father, what a privilege these kids have. Can you see him moving on others? Can you see him moving on others? Can you see the Holy Spirit moving on others? Can you spot the woman with the issue of blood in a crowd? Can you see the lame man at the beautiful gate having faith to be healed? Can you, in a room like this, suddenly go up to someone and know that the Spirit of God has Breck's heart and that this is the right time to speak a prophetic word into his heart. And the Father wants to say to you that uh, as you grow older, you will have the characteristics of Aslan. You're a cub now. At times you recognize your strength. At times you realize your strength. But times between recognizing your strength and then going back into the natural break are long. So you, you get a taste him occasionally and then you go back into break. Well, what I made you for was to behave like Aslan, to be fierce, to know how to handle weapons with both hands. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray two things for this man. That, he, that when he gets up, when he gets up, Father, that he would shake his head like a lion that shakes its mane. That when you rouse him up and the time is coming, even this week, Father, when you rouse him up and he gets up, Breck will suddenly find himself looking in the mirror and he'll see the lion. I pray, Father, fierce passion for Aslan. A fierce passion for Aslan. Let it rise up, Father. Let it rise up, Father. This is what I ask for him, Abba, and I know you'll complete the picture over the next two days. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Father, I just lay hands on him right now. I lay hands on him right now. And I pray this into his heart, Abba. I stir his heart up, Abba. Stir his heart up. Brave heart. Commander of men. Fierce battles. They call your name. They call your name. Give him the roar of the lion father within him. Let everything else fall. Nothing left but that. So I thank you for this man, Abba. We bless him. We bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you see him moving on others, guys? Because if you can see God moving on someone, you can immediately hone in and direct the affections of the Holy Spirit on the person. Can you see him moving on others? These are the things that all of us are called to do. To watch for it. Doesn't matter whether it's in a church setting like this or in Wally or in an aircraft. And sometimes it'll be awkward. Sometimes it'll be risky. Sometimes it'll be inconvenient. But isn't that why we were born? To serve, to exist for his service.
When presence becomes your greatest treasure and you learn to protect it, right? So it's not just that. See, I'm almost done, guys. Give me about five minutes. Presence gives you, presence, if, if presence becomes your greatest treasure, becomes your greatest treasure, you will protect it. So the question is, is presence my greatest treasure? Yesterday we were coming back from LA and Maria had come to LA and I had given her the cars, the keys to my car and the token to get out of the parking lot. And I'm thinking to myself, she's not a Canadian citizen, what if they don't allow her in? I was not concerned about her, I was concerned about getting the keys to my car because that was my greatest treasure, not her. <laughs> and I found myself praying saying, Father, please let immigration let her through. Time for confession, since you're going tomorrow, my dad will tell you now. So presence becomes, if presence becomes your greatest treasure, you begin to protect it. May I suggest to you that perhaps it's not? Otherwise we'd protect it, we'd guard it. Like these women guard their babies in their womb, or like you would guard something that was sitting on your shoulder, in terms of the dove. If presence becomes your greatest treasure, you will protect it. And um, if it becomes your greatest treasure, Eden will be restored in your life. I want to say to you that the best thing in Eden was the presence of God. I want to say to you that the worst thing that happened in Eden was the loss of presence. Eden will be restored in your life. That is all that was, everything else, the trees, the um, elephants that could speak and all that stuff. I don't know whether elephants could speak, but he named all the animals. Yeah, that wasn't the big thing. It was not that um, there were no cats and roses didn't have thorns. It was not that. All that came after the fall. But <laughs> help us, Lord, yeah. Eden will be restored when uh, presence becomes super important to me and I protect it. Eden will be restored. Jesus had this ability to walk through the earth and see two things. And you will begin to see those two things. Guys, this is not pie in the sky. You will begin to see two things. And they will have two different reactions. One, you will see the brokenness of the world and everything in you will scream for it to be restored. And two, you will see what awaits a person at a time in the world and everything in you will exult. What a place to be. Caught between these two brilliant tensions. Broken because of all the things that you see. That is so broken because you know how it used to be and you know what he's done in your life. And then you see what awaits. And you see some of it will happen here now. And some of it will happen only at the end. And you're caught between these two and you live there. The thing that was lost in the garden was presence. We still find the world so beautiful to look at. Look at. The thing that was lost in the garden was presence. The thing that was given back to us and that we should now carry with great protection, great pride, great challenge, great privilege, great responsibility is presence. And when we do that, not only is Eden restored for you, now other people start getting restored through you. Because you're caught between these two things. And there's a groaning inside you that occasionally bursts into laughter because you see things happening where things are being fixed, setting things right, new things being, beginning to happen. I will put all things back. I will make things new. Ah, sadness in some places is coming untrue. This is where we live. And it's a great place to live in church. This is not later. This is what we're being invited to now. It is a good time to live. People will experience the power of miracles of restoration. Yeah, let's close. Praise God, man. Praise God. Father, we just thank you for what you're inviting us into. I just take great joy, Father, in being able to announce it. That's all I'm doing. I'm just announcing your intent. That's all I'm doing, Father. I'm like a herald who's opened a scroll and is reading out the announcement of God to a people that are listening. That's all.
So we accept this challenge. We want to carefully receive this privilege and we want to take the responsibility of protecting it. Please, oh God, I know you'll do it. I don't need to plead to you. You're the one who's inviting us. You're the one who's inviting us. We just want to say yes. Let's end with the, no, no instrument, just sing it without. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. Yeah, we won't do communion today. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. We haven't done communion for a while here, but you guys do communion in the house churches and hubs. I apologize for not doing it together as a group, cause, but we always seem to run out of time. I can keep you here till two and do it, but somehow I feel that would be unfair. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing the old song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing as the evening comes. We thank you for what you're doing, O oh God, and we bless you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. We sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I will worship your holy name. I will worship your holy name. See you when I see you next.